Hello, my name's Adrian Goldberg and welcome to the Byline Times podcast. The Byline Times, it's what the papers don't say, what radio doesn't report and what telly doesn't tell you. This time in our year view mirror, Prince Harry and the phone hacking scandal. This is a story which goes right back to the foundations of the Byline Times. Prince Harry, as you'll be aware, was recently awarded more than £140,000 in damages after a judge decided his phone had been hacked by Mirror Group newspapers. We're going to discuss this with the Byline Times chief reporter, Josiah Mortimer, and with our executive editor, Peter Jukes. And Peter, I think it's uh, important to start with you. I say this story goes right back to the foundation of the Byline Times, our origin story, if you like, the phone hacking scandal itself. Yes, born in sin, as it were. Um, (laughs) My sort of entry into journalism came through first actually reporting on the BBC, but then on the phone hacking scandal and what I saw as the monopoly problem with the Murdoch papers. You know, News of the World was shut down in 2011 after it emerged. They'd hacked thousands of people, including the murdered schoolgirl Millie Dowler. And uh, this judgment from Justice Fancourt is about the Mirror Group, which was never in the dock, unlike News of the World, for phone hacking. In fact, the police dropped their investigation. And there's now, given the volume of evidence put forward in this 380 pages, is it, judgment, you wonder why the police dropped their case. For some context, the key figure here is Piers Morgan. Because Piers Morgan was editor of News of the World in the 90s, great friend of Rebecca Brooks and Andy Coulson. Rebecca Brooks was found innocent of knowing about phone hacking, but her deputy and then successor editor at News of the World, Andy Coulson, was found guilty. Now, Piers Morgan worked at News of the World in the mid-90s till 96, I think, and then moved over to the Mirror Group. What is clear from anybody who studied the history and now reads this judgment, is he took over the dark arts of phone hacking and other things I'll talk about to the Mirror Group. He was accompanied by the former News of the World crime editor, Gary Jones, who now is editor of the Express, and they set about at the Mirror writing stories of which vast numbers, it now turns out, were based on phone hacking, as it called in the judgment, voicemail interception, VEMI, but a lot more of what they call unlawful information gathering UIG, which goes well beyond phone hacking. I always said that when phone hacking emerged, mainly through Glenn Marker's News of the World, it was the nice side of what they were doing. Because actually, Glenn Marker was really employed in News of the World when their chief unlawful information gatherer, a guy called Jonathan Reese, went to prison. So this other kind of information gathering extends all the way from burglary, that is in the evidence, to blagging, which is impersonating other people to get details, medical details, and bribing cops for information. So what we have is that this is first of three possible trials. This is gathering up all the individual litigants because basically the mirror wanted to strike it out. And what Justice Fancourt has looked over the 10 years of civil litigation and found systematic cover up by mirror group, which now own them, but the senior executives and lawyers there, not some of the top ones, but certainly at the level of the overall editor in chief, Piers Morgan. And the judge says, there is without doubt, Piers Morgan knew about phone hacking. There's like, five pages on Piers Morgan. Now, Piers Morgan said he knew nothing about phone hacking at Leveson. And when this judgment came out, 
he went um, outside his house and made this statement about how horrible Harry was. And he said, I've never hacked a phone. That's not what he said before. He said he never knew about it or commissioned it. He's reduced his denial. Just to be precise here, I want to get this accurate. Accuracy clearly matters here. He said, I've never hacked a phone or told anybody else to hack a phone. But that is different, even if you accept those words at their face value, to being aware that it was going on. Yeah. Or if he didn't condone it, employ it, turn a blind eye, then he's the most useless editor in the history of Fleet Street because it was one of the main staples for their scoops and their stories. So you have to ask yourself, why is someone in such a prominent position in our public life has a TV show devoted to him? It reverts to very personal abuse against Prince Harry and racism and Meghan, which is the stock in trade these days, is allowed to continue with impunity for either lying about these unlawful and sometimes criminal acts or being completely useless and not knowing what his newsroom and his other executives were doing. Why this is important, actually, Adrian, is a story you know about, some of our audience might know about. It goes back to murder. I'm not saying, by the way, has they that Piers Morgan is involved in murder, but the main source of the dark arts, the people who trained Masma Mood, the main providers of unlawful information to News of the World, and then the Mirror Group, was a company called Southern Investigations. Now, that was known to be at the center of one of the biggest murder scandals in British history. One of the founders, Daniel Morgan, was found in a car park at the Golden Lion in Sydney in 1987 with an axe in his head. It's now been accepted by murder inquiries were subject to police corruption. Yet, here you have this very dodgy private investigative firm. The two people who took it over, Jonathan Reese, the co-founder with Daniel, and Sid Fillory, who was a police officer investigating the murder, then takes Daniel's role. Fillory and Reese were arrested once, and then Fillory another couple of times on suspicion of involvement in the murder. Now, the trial collapses. He's, not, he's found not guilty of any involvement in the murder. But as a newspaper organization, there's clearly questions about this private investigation company. There are clearly connections around the Stephen Lawrence murder, too, as we can discuss later if you want in the forthcoming trials. It's clearly dark and dodgy. They're looking at police corruption in southeast London, actually in the whole of the Met. And the first place they go to is Southern Investigations. They put a bug in there. And in the six weeks of bug is there, Gary Jones, then crime editor at the Mirror Group, is on the phone to Jonathan Reese who's running this. And Jonathan Reese tells him, we can't detail why we want 16,000 of these invoices, because what we're doing is illegal. So it just begs the question, what was Fleet Street doing? Why did they think it was worth working with these people? And Josiah, you have sifted through every page of the court judgments in favour of Prince Harry and against Mirror Group newspapers. What interesting things did you find? I think the one that stands out to me is that the judge is very clear that phone hacking was going on up until the point and potentially through the Leveson inquiry. So at this point when Justice Leveson is investigating phone hacking at newspapers and newspapers, when they admitted it at all, were arguing that it was historic. Actually, the Mirror Group was still known to be involved in phone hacking and unlawful information gathering. And to me, that just... It shows how brazen this was. They knew what was happening was illegal. They were spending huge sums of money every year. There's a document in the court judgment which shows that 
they were spending at times half a million on unlawful information gathering and the services of private investigators. And it was still in the several hundreds of thousands around 2010 at Mirror Group. So I think what this says is that this is much bigger than what we thought it was previously. The revelations that came out of the Leveson inquiry did not show the full picture. And it's only through this civil action that we are starting to find more details about it. The judge is also pretty clear that the Mirror Group did not want to basically help these investigations one jot. Senior executives denying involvement when it was very clear that they knew what was going on, failing to put forward witnesses. And then, of course, you have the joke that is Piers Morgan giving that statement in front of his house, saying that he never hacked his phone, all this stuff. It is clear, very clear from the judgment that he knew what was going on. And as Peter said, if he didn't, he would be the worst editor in Fleet Street history. But just finally, there are figures named in the judgment who still hold senior positions in the British media. Piers Morgan, probably the most high profile of them. But Gary Jones, who Peter mentioned, he is currently the editor of the Express newspaper, again, owned by Reach, which also owns the Mirror newspaper. Another senior executive at Reach, Lloyd Embry, he actually left just a few months ago before the judgment, obviously no wrongdoing alleged. On that front, it does suggest that these people have fallen upwards. These figures who knew about phone hacking that was going on, they have landed very senior roles in British journalism and continue to have a very influential role. Yeah, we should remember that the Leveson inquiry, which investigated phone hacking, was not specific to Mirror Group newspapers, of course, and The Sun and the News of the World, as Peter has mentioned, were key to that inquiry. We recently had the settlement as well with the former Liberal Democrat cabinet minister, Chris Hoon, who accepted a, a six-figure sum from the publishers of The Sun and the News of the World. He complained about phone hacking, intrusion, and he said that he would have liked to have had his case heard in open court. He couldn't afford to, but again, very critical of the Murdoch empire, which has been as bad, if not worse, than the Mirror Group in all of this very sorry episode for the British press. It's definite, historically, the news of the world innovated these dark arts techniques and they spread. And we could talk about the uh, looming trial with the mail soon. The Hume judgment is extraordinary, not just because, as most litigants, by the way, cannot afford to go the whole way to trial. A trial costs millions. It's up for people like Prince Harry who can maybe afford it and um, somebody like you know Hugh Grant. But the Hume judgment, as Nick Davis, though in retirement, exposed, shows that News Corp or News UK and definitely New Zealand International as it was then was hacking senior politicians in the coalition government. We also know, and we've reported this, people have missed this, News of the World or News International was hacking, surveying the DCMS committee, which was looking at phone hacking. People like Paul Farrowy and Tom Watson. That's the forthcoming trial against NGN, News Group Limited, which basically runs The Sun and the News of the World. I mean, Nick Davis describes it as utter recklessness. But because they were so intent on this deal, because this was the deal, the merger to take over the whole of B Sky B, they were hacking the ministers who could be responsible, like Vince Cable and 
it shows that what happens in 2006 when there's this limited inquiry, a rogue reporter needs the world done for phone hacking, and then the police leave it alone. That sense of impunity allows it to run riot. Talking about how it's extended to other newspapers, though there is a case now, it's been allowed, hasn't been struck out in the High Court. This is under a different justice, Justice Nicklin, for against ANL, Associated Newspapers Limited, which is the company behind the mail and the mail on Sunday, because it is alleged, of course, the mail deny this, it's going to trial, that they deployed very similar techniques. They certainly employed a lot of private investigators. And among this most extraordinary thing, the appellate litigants in the case of the mail is Baroness Doreen Lawrence. Because though the mail made a huge deal about how it named the murderers in the late 90s, actually, soon after the murder happened in 93, they were allegedly hiring private detectives and paying off corrupt cops for information we see seems to be about the Lawrence family and their campaign against the Med. And it's the same group, I must say, of private investigators and corrupt cops involved in southern investigations and the Daniel Morgan murder, or at least the cover-up of that murder. And so we would remember that southern investigations wasn't just a dodgy private investigations firm. It wasn't just employing corrupt cops. It worked for members of the London underworld. So you basically have what Gordon Brown called the criminal media nexus. It is the underworld moving into private investigators, moving with corrupt cops into the mainstream media. That's three, if these turn out to be true, three major news organizations using this company. And then extensively, when that company closes, using the same techniques. I can't think, Adrian, I don't know if Josiah can, any other country in the world, <laughs> a large part of the press become accomplices or complicit in, and certainly covering up, the involvement of major criminals in their news gathering. And Leveson 2 was meant to investigate the connection between the press, politicians and the police. That was initially temporarily halted because of ongoing legal proceedings and then successfully scotched by the right-wing newspapers who effectively said to Theresa May, unless you stop Leveson 2, we will move against your government. They moved against her government in any event, but by that time, Leveson too had been eliminated. It had been removed. And these revelations perhaps underline, I don't know what you think, Josiah, the need for a Leveson too to examine in close detail the behaviour of the British press. Really is remarkable just the iron grip that some of these newspapers seem to have over governments of the day. Leviton 2 jettisoned on their bidding. Actually, right now, the government is pushing through a media bill. And amid some mildly good stuff about protecting public service broadcasting, they've inserted a clause to basically remove one of the key changes that was planned after the first Leviton inquiry, which was to push news organisations into low-cost arbitration so that people who were taking up a case of wrongdoing against the press had access to low-cost arbitration rather than spending hundreds of thousands of pounds and going through the courts. Now, the biggest media groups basically refused to join that official regulator, which is now called Impress, and say they're managing perfectly well, self-regulating themselves instead. But Again, that comes after significant lobbying from these 
massive multinational news organisations and the government has agreed to it. Funnily enough, not long before a general election. But more recently than that, I've just been trawling through the latest ministerial declarations of interests and meetings and things like that. We find that Rishi Sunak met senior Murdoch News International figures more times than he met NHS figures over this summer. So this goes right up to the present day. This media political nexus, politicians and the media basically being codependent on each other. And I think the media do seem to have a bit of the upper hand in that relationship. There are real consequences to this. On the individual level, just for example, the cancelling of Leveson 2. By the way, it was only in two parts because Lord Justice Leveson didn't want to prejudice the forthcoming trials, which happened after Leveson 1 over phone hacking, in which a dozen people were sentenced and prosecuted or pled guilty. Dozens more, actually, officers, public officials found guilty of selling stories to the press because it was just, you know, official bribes story as much as it was a phone hacking story. Now, one of the people who accepted that would happen was Alistair Morgan and the Morgan family because they thought, well, they'd accepted a panel inquiry, which had no powers of subpoena or compelling witnesses, because they thought Leveson 2 would come along and look at this relationship with the police and the press with the powers of subpoena and compelling witnesses. So they accepted as a halfway house, and then on the basis Leveson 2 would happen. And then it didn't happen. So you have a family who still haven't found answers because the panel couldn't compel evidence like Leveson could do. On a wider scale, I do think Brexit... I think the press's role in the COVID, not just the bungs, their terrible coverage, just back to work, trying to get us to eat out, all the stuff, trying to get us not to lock down, goes back to this, as Josiah said, this unhealthy symbiosis. Because you have an organization that doesn't make money, it is losing a lot of money, owned mainly by foreign non-domiciled billionaires, determining policy in their favor, and then basically holding politicians over a barrel. They're not holding power to account, they're holding power hostage and saying, if you don't do what we say, we're going to destroy your reputation in the papers. This is more like a protection racket than it is like proper media business. The laws of a murder, the mafia swearing to silence, the sense that, oh, nice career you have there, it's same to see that trash. That is implicit in what the Mail and the Sun to a certain extent express do. And I think you can trace a lot of the ills that have affected this country from the moment of Leveson to the papers doubling down. As Josiah says, senior executives involved in phone hacking falling upwards. It's a cover-up. The stakes are high. They are in a sort of Mexican standoff, but it ain't going to fly. i tell you why. Because whatever one thinks about Keir Starmer, that he's sort of wavering on his media policy, is being very cautious in the run-up to a potential election. You can only lose at this point, being 20 points ahead. The Murdochs hate him. Why? He was the guy who reinterpreted the law in 2011 as DPP to allow Operation Meeting and phone hacking to be investigated. So I still have hopes that Keir Starmer knows where the bodies are buried. He knows the whole story. He initiated it all and he will do something about it. Peter Jukes, thank you. And thanks also to Josiah Mortimer. And if you want to read more from both Peter and Josiah, don't forget to take out a subscription to The Byline Times. You can buy it now on selected newsstands, but if you want to be sure of getting a copy, then please take out a subscription. 
You can buy a digital subscription or a slightly more expensive version that gets a fantastic monthly newspaper dropping through your letterbox. And if you take out a subscription, you're also helping to support this podcast. So please head over to bylinetimes.com if you can to take out a subs. Wishing you all a happy new year. This has been a We Bring Audio production in Birmingham by me, Adrian Goldberg, and Harvey White. We'll see you again very soon. But for now, thank you and goodbye. Cheers all. Bye-bye.